Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. (laughs) So the next scene we see, number six, entering the shop. He said, help yourself to a pineapple, madam. (laughs) So we have uh, Dennis Short as the shopkeeper. One thing I noticed, which I thought was quite interesting, is if you look at the clock behind number six, the time is ten minutes to six. Ah, at 5.50. So he's not quite... Well, I, it, there's a few ways. I, first of all, I thought, well, is it 10 to 6 in the morning? I thought, well, no, that's far no. too early. Yeah, even for she's the... already set up the cafe. Exactly, for the denizens of the village. Nobody would do that. That's, no, that's ridiculous. Madness. Yeah, but and it wouldn't be 10 to 6 in the evening because number two said, you know, come and join me for breakfast. Mm. So it has to be in the morning. So it must be a stop clock or it's a prop, obviously, that's just been left on the wall with no kind of thought to but then I thought well actually it's 10 to 6 and he's not quite number 6 he like the he, clock is not quite 6 he hasn't actually been given his number yet has he no. I, that's in the... I thought that was quite a nice it's probably nothing to that at all I reckon that probably is I think, I think even at that point they were, they were looking to throw as many sort of just throw as much stuff against the wall mm. and let's, let's make this let's revel in the ambiguity of the whole thing and then of course the map the famous sequence with the map. Yes, which uh, anyone who's been to Port Marion would have the first thing they would have bought at the uh, prison yes. shop. Perfect uh, for marketing material. Oh, it's fantastic. And, and of the, course, the colour ones are more expensive. Much more expensive. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, I always find that quite funny when you look at that map. The mountains. The yes. mountains. The mountains. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> and then he gets one for free anyway when he uh, explores his uh, apartment properly. Yes, I'd imagine that would have really irritated him. So what have we been next? We have the introduction, the first appearance of Fenella Fielding. Indeed. Good morning, or, good morning. Or her voice. Yes. Well, uh, she, was, she was a big enough part of this to, to appear at the, the last... Mm. Was it the 50th? I think so. She just by the skin of her teeth made yeah, that one, bless her. Sadly, not um, with us. But what a... Yeah, an incredibly distinctive thing. And it, it just works so much. It's horrible. And it, it does actually remind me of... You, you hear it in Tannoy announcements mm. to this day, that sort of... Slightly vacuous, but sort of kind of just yeah. at the same time, just sort of soothing you into some hearing some very bad news. Uh, but it's lovely, really, and we're having a lovely time. Sorry, <laughs> your train is going to be 58 minutes 57 late. 57 people were killed. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. Sorry about this. There were no now, survivors. Here's some music. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an absolutely perfect thing. And it's even though it's uh, the, the banality of what she's saying, the sort of, uh, t- well, today's flavour is uh, ice cream flavour is strawberry. Yes. And <laughs> there was that nice little note. It says, when Vanilla Fielding's talking about the whole strawberry ice cream thing, mm. the, the sign, keep on the grass. Mm. Mm. What an yes. odd little touch. Yeah. I've, not even, I, I was, I've been thinking about trying to work out what that means, how it's sort of... Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's because his world has been turned upside down. And the village is not playing by conventional rules. Yes. And we see that, as, as we talked about earlier, where he drives under the, the barrier, or he stops at the barrier, that, that he could still drive under. But he plays by the rules, and something about the village is not playing by the rules. Mm. And for various elements, you know, he tries to destroy stuff, but then they come and re- repair it and replace it. Yes, instantly. Instantly. With, with, yeah, science fiction, instantaneously. Yeah. Instant- <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like the rules of, of physics and logic don't really apply. Yes, in some in some circumstances in the village, and I think that's one of the indicators. Yeah, it's all part of the please. discombobulation process of yeah. the first one. Like the guy in the um, the tower isn't there. Mm. It was just an, a nice touch. I mean, the episode, the whole episode, because it's a sort of setting up a world. It's so full of lovely, mm. off, slightly unsettling touches. And it's interesting because if you watch the shows that are around at the time, there's mm. nowhere near this level of detail. No. And yeah, subtext, I suppose, but also these kind of like little touches. Oh yeah, it was, it was all basically reused sets, wardrobes, mm. wigs, plots <laughs> uh, for pretty much all of them. For yeah, ev- yeah. literally every single thing, it, di- it did have a sizably bigger budget than, yes, and yes. I, maybe that sort of played into it. it was like, well, it, we boys, we can mm. actually 
we can uh, enjoy ourselves a little bit here, pay a little bit more attention. Yeah. Um, and the song, interesting, is uh, a song called Party Dress by Tony Tamborello. Oh, yes. That plays there. And that's one of the first pieces of music we hear. Is that a commissioned song for the for the show? Well, it, it was actually um, a 1957 song, but it was recorded by the Telecast Orchestra. So according to... <laughs> I love this stuff. One of the sources I looked at, it was recorded or re-recorded for The Prisoner using the studio orchestra, or an in-house orchestra for The Prisoner. Probably for a copyright reason yes yes even about then maybe so is that though that's the song that he's is playing in the house when he smashes the radio yeah it's that light in it yeah yeah that horrible music yeah the lift music i do you know i would have assumed it was montevani or a, or a cover yeah, version of montevani a little bit like montevani isn't it yeah i suppose it was yeah it's the kind of thing it was piped into every french bistro restaurant between oh, 1958 yes <laughs> 1967 now it's the entry to the green dome Indeed. And, of course, we meet Guy Dolman. But more importantly, we meet the butler. Yes, Angelo Muscat. Angelo Muscat, who'd already carved a career in um, television and film. Yes, yes. He was an umpa lumpa uh, on, uh, in uh, Willy Wonka and yes. the Chocolate Factory, famously. Maltese actor. He was, and McGowan, there was a, a lovely tale McGowan said, and he actually went to visit him mm. uh, and his family, um, and he was big news over mm. there. He was a big deal. He's the only character who doesn't wear a badge. Yes, and he is, uh, He obviously you know this, he's the only character who appears apart from McGowan in every single episode. Mm. He's key, but, I mean, uh, let's not spoil anything too much, but it's not as, the, the immediate thought is that there'll be a switcheroo and he's mm. number one. Mm. It's getting a, bit... a lot of people suspected he might have been number one. Yeah, it's yeah. like, hang on, hang on, the, the butler's in all of these. Yeah, the butler did it. Yeah, and it's all a bit of a sort of uh, kind of Pinterest, kind of the servant switcheroo. Yeah. But it, it's, I think he's, he's just there to unsettle the fact that he never says anything. I don't know. I don't know. Is um, this there to add a touch of kind of oddness? There's a various, there are various theories that he represents the, the little people, or the general public. The the other thing I thought, if you're not part of society, do you still have a voice? Now, he doesn't have a voice. Uh, so is he on the fringe of society? Ah, uh, lovely. I, I, I thought that <laughs> might be a nice... Yes. About, you know, that expression and, and freedom, freedom of speech. Well, um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to claim that that's my interpretation now for, <laughs> for anyone who ever asked me in the street. The, but the thing is, you can read into that so many ways. Of course, but that's a, I think that's a fantastic reading. I think that's that's exactly right. But, and, 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 it, and again, it goes straight, it highlights the point that even from the get-go, hmm. this isn't just a spy series, this is about something, yeah. this is about something important. But, I mean, if you were casting for a butler at the time, you'd probably go with the Agatha Christie style old Carruthers or Jarvis thing with the tray. I suppose Very the whole sir. Yeah, the whole point of people like that is the way that they would talk though. Yes. I I'm going to talk to you slightly dismissively, sir, though it's <laughs> yeah, me geez. bringing you the drinks. <laughs> uh, that was the the tender way. Would you mind looking a little bit less poor? <laughs> I'm guessing well, he didn't want to go down the uh, PG Woodhouse route with a butler. No, because yeah, the, that that's the only thing some sort of John Le Monsieur type mm. would have brought to it, the sort of disdain. Whereas I, 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 I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it, mm. the, the little man with no voice, who, I don't know, at the same time, because he's in all of them and because he's this constant, never loses his temper or everything, he's always just there diligently, yeah. uh, he, there's strength in that. There's, a, there's another thing as well. It's um, this metaphor for the upper classes mm. or the establishment, having these people toil beneath them or using people without going into things like the Communist Manifesto. I mean, <laughs> more to do with, um, you know, this kind of establishment trope. Yes. Of having upper classes served by, like upstairs, downstairs, like uh, lower classes, who were still not really lower class. They're... Well, that was the great 60s thing. I mean, I, I was kind of, in America, it was civil rights, but mm. over here it was more getting rid of the class system. Yeah, yeah. The whole uh, angry young men thing, people kicking out and... Basically, anybody who became famous in the 60s was from a working-class yes. background. It was, yes. that, it was the shattering of those kind of ceilings. Well, famously, when the Beatles were awarded their MBEs, you know, there were people who were handing theirs back. Yes. How disgust. Yeah. Commoners. Commoners. Well, it was, you know, I worked hard and I, I served <laughs> in two world wars and all that kind of stuff. By, by simply creating some pop, admittedly music. rather memorable pop music yes. on the hit parade. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But I think, uh, I suppose the prisoner, because of when it was made, is going to be about a lot of things that were very sort of pressing then the time. Yeah, at yeah, the, at yeah. the, in the 60s. I think the social and political. I, th- I think, yeah, I think class was the great, yes. in Britain at, at least, it was the great sort of argument, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Let's get rid of this. But of course, the 60s was watershed, really, for society, especially in the UK, with the counterculture coming in, yes. especially towards the mid to late 60s as well. Drug culture, the like, what the permissive society. Yeah, and this and it, this kind of straddled the 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 real volcano point of that uh, when they started shooting it. So they would have been angling to sort of get it made around the '66, mm. which was when things were starting to hot up. Mm. And then it came out in six. It finished in '68 when things were actually exploding. Yeah. So it would have it would have been right on the on the fault line. Well, it was that uh, '66 was. I mean, everyone says 67, Summer of Love and you know, mm. Free Love and all that kind of stuff. But 66 is, I think, just as important. You have people like Timothy Leary mm. with his turn-on, tune-in, drop-out speech in San Francisco. Uh, you know, there was a huge yeah, counterculture it, 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 movement. Yeah, it, it took a while for that to get over here, I yes, think. Yes, it did. Yeah. Uh, we were still sort of uh, winning the World Cup and that kind of... Yes. The, yeah, the kinks were... There was that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it didn't really sort of flower, literally, until no, the next until, year. Yeah, until 67, which is, of course, when this was aired, it kind of hit the right note. Yeah, this is... But, what I, but I, I, it was something I was writing about, actually, recently, of how the, the prisoner, even though it was made in 66, captures that kind of psychedelic element, which hadn't really arrived in Britain until 67. Yeah. So there's almost a little bit of preempting the colours and the techniques and the aversion therapies... There's, there's a lot of psychedelia within the prisoner, even yes. though psychedelia hadn't really come to Britain at the time. You had the in America, yeah, you had the birds and singing Mr. Tambourine Man and Good Vibrations, the Beach Boys, these kind of the theremin and everything. There was a, there was this psychedelic musical yeah. movement. I suppose they were they were all uh, dropping acid and taking drugs. They just kind of never told the press until the mm. following year. So well, the Beatles famously uh, dropped themselves in it, didn't they? With uh, their dentist was supplying them with LSD. Was he Doctor Robert? Doctor Robert, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, Ring yeah, my but friend, yeah. said you'd call. <laughs> but it was only Paul, and it, you know, he, t- he tended to do that. So sort of. I'm going to just uh, yeah, it was great. Um, just, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know the others are saying don't tell. Me, I'm going to tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing we made. I'm not going to lie. Hey, oh. Lennon's like, Paul, shut it, you know. That was supposed to be our little secret, that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think yeah, class is still represented here. There is still an establishment. Number two is the establishment. Yes. The way I see it. You know, these are these people who have always been in power and are replaced. There may be an old boy network as well, because the majority of number twos are, are generally men as well. Yes, the run of the series and the the outfits. Although everyone everyone's kind of wearing kind of costume play mm. at some point. I mean, the the, the the outfits of the number two are kind of uh, plays on. Even the, the the scarf has a sort of touch of the the cricket tie. Well, no, I, the way I see the scarf is the university scarf. Ah, yes, it's it's the old boy scarf, isn't it? It's you know Cambridge, Oxford, Oxford. You, you know, you'd wear the tie, you'd wear the scarf. I I would always see that as more of an academic. Yeah. Kind of thing that they're from this. My my brain's playing up with me now. Did they all have? Was it, was it a walking stick, or was it you know, a shooting stick? Yes. So yeah. you saw that you could pull out a seat at the top yeah. and you can lean back. Did they all have one of those? Um, I know Guy Dolman's using it to click on the buttons and stuff like sure, that. Not sure, to be honest. I, uh, or is that his? Head, I'm not sure. Is that his particular prop? Yeah. But that's another. That's another one. A classic sort mm. of. Yeah, shooting stick particularly. The lovely again, it's the lovely thing. Some of the continuity errors when you think, well, hang on, or yeah. this could be a devilishly clever yeah. bit of uh, bit of gamesmanship. Yeah, I think it's number six just uh, annoying him. Yeah, on purpose. He doesn't really mind sugar. No, I know. He's just putting it in just to annoy him. <laughs> That's how I see it. He doesn't do much stirring. <laughs> and then they have uh, breakfast. Yes, yes, which is rather nice and uh, very very quick to arrive. Mm, almost instantaneous. Yes, again, it's like how on earth are they? It does look good. Mm. The, be- the, bre- the bacon and eggs particularly, I thought, looked pretty good. Um, but yes. See, I don't know whether this is kind of like what we were talking before about the on-demands kind of culture, mm. or maybe this is just they know so much about him that everything's prepared ready. That's, I think that's what... Because he doesn't eat it, does he? No. I don't, think, I, don't think, I don't think he's supposed to eat it. It's, it's number two saying, look, we know. It's a show of power. Yes. Isn't it? There's... there's you don't even need to ask for anything. We know everything. We know mm. everything about you. Uh, and here is a montage of you in a hotel room. 
Yeah. And this definitely because it goes by so quickly that that you don't pay much attention to it. But well, it, it, it it offers up quite a few w- but there is pertinent th- questions. There are some interesting things that it, it, they actually use Magoon's uh, real birthday. Yes. And there are also some photos of him as a young man as well in that uh, photo montage. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. When we get to um, bringing it up to present day, and there's the the there's a sort of, and uh, what's that over there? And over there, yes. <laughs> what's that? A click in the mirror? <laughs> who who is Chambers? Yeah, about to meet Chambers later at the Foreign Office, hoping to change his mind before the big boys found out. Is that possibly a Danger Man reference? I don't think so. I think I think if it was, people would have jumped on that. Yeah, a lot earlier. I think I, I see this as a, re, a reasoning behind one of the reasons why he, he resigned. Mm. Uh, because he says in Chimes of Big Ben, doesn't he, you know, for a long time, a matter of conscience. Yes, and oh, wait a minute. What, there was some, some incident yes. or something that happened that maybe was, he was going to get into trouble for. You know, if he wanted to, he wanted to meet Chambers to, to discuss something that... Yes. Because they, they basically got Chambers, brought him in and essentially got the information out of him. Lo- lovely guy, Chambers. Very talkative. Yeah. Words that affect. <laughs> yes. So, it's, again, it's another show of power, isn't it? That yeah. We've been on, we know about you, we've followed you all this time. I think this is quite a nice scene because this, it's this collection of personal data. Yes. You know, they've got everything about him apart from the time of his birth. Yes. Let's that, bring that up to, to date, date, shall we? Um, but that's kind of like... It's parallels with t- with social media data collection in terms of how they create these algorithms for shopping and you know when someone's been talking about angling and then fishing. Oh yes, yes, is and targeted advertising. But I, I thought it was, even though it obviously is nothing to do with that, but it's 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 kind of like the the birthing of that idea is that somebody can have that much information about an individual. Yes, but and and. and What's lovely is that it's it's positioned as something that's one hundred percent sinister, mm. Mm. Uh, which is something these days. But do you know, I don't mind really. Yeah. But do you know what all they're trying to do is sell me better trousers, and faster. But actually, that's no, thing. it's people genuine. don't care anymore. They just they're happy to give away their personal data. Yes. Because they've been conditioned into oh this this app you know this, this social media platform basically collects this information about you, creates algorithms designed on what you're viewing and what you like, and shows you more of it. Yes, you know, and this is there's some documentaries actually on um, on Netflix about this of how this has subverted the democratic process in some countries. I think it was in Myanmar was one of the examples. I think it's doing that over here because it's, it's. I mean, it's it's. Um, I, I, it is quite nice in, in a way. We sort of looking up. Try, try, I was trying to find some sort of prisoner stuff, mm. and then lo and behold, up pops some prisoner related merchandise adverts. Isn't that lovely? But it's the, they use exactly the same kind of algorithms. And yeah. this, this is not nothing nobody doesn't know about, but to channel the same kind of political information you want to hear straight back but at there's you. There's a lovely irony here because it's not. There's no kind of sinister Bond villain mm. going, ah, Kai, I'm going to show you. I'm going you, to play you, with you, your mind. I want you to vote for Party A, so I'm going to show you lots of pro Party A things in your feed, which is not what's really happening. Is the enemy who's actually creating these algorithms? Or forming them yes. is ourselves. Yes. So we're our own worst enemy in data algorithm creation. Well, let's not give away the ending of Fallout, shall we? It's so early in the uh, podcast. <laughs> but yes, no, it, it, it's uh, and it's it's the same sort of. And the way they do it is mm. to tell you that the flavour of the day is strawberry ice cream. Yeah, it's all. But that's I mean that's a, that's a classic media trope, isn't it? After News at Ten used to do this. 15 people are dead, and this has happened, and so-and-so has died. And But a cat who was stuck up a tree in Ilfracombe has been rescued. I and remember that. These little kind of, God, we were relieved. I think they call them unicorn chasers now, these little light moments of relief <laughs> to kind of cheer you up. And it's a little bit like that with Fenella Fielding's... Uh, yes. Kind of thing, but it's all the way through, isn't it? You Apparently know. the virus is completely untreatable. But at least in, at least they wouldn't have to go into lockdown in the village. Because they're self-contained. Uh, <laughs> so every cloud. Exactly. Yeah, We're fine. Cool. Game of chess. <laughs> um, so what do we have next? The first proper viewing of the penny farthing. That's right. That's right. I mean, McGowan's been pretty explicit about what the the penny farthing represents. Mm. And the, even at the time, even as a sort of callow 17-year-old, 
coming out with stuff in public he didn't really understand. He's carried on doing until his <laughs> mid to late 40s. McGuin was saying that it, that basically represents the fact that we're just evolving too quickly. Mm. We are, technology is moving fast, too fast, mm. and we're just failing to catch up with it. And we need to It's a symbol of progress, take, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, and he reckoned, he always said, even, even in interviews in the 80s and 90s, he was saying, we, we just, we, we need to stop. Mm. Take a look around and assess what we've got. Assess how far we've got. Stop just blindly yeah, yeah, yeah. tumbling forward and being pushed forward by all these things. Well, this, I mean, the, the smartphone is an ideal example of this mm. because it, you know, when if you have a smartphone, you have a, a phone, a camera, you have a cinema, a television, you have a radio, you have a notepad, you have all these things that combine into one device. Yes, you can access the sum of pretty much all human knowledge <laughs> yeah. on there. You can read all of Charles Dickens or Alexandra Dumas. You can read all the classics that are out of copyright. You can watch a film on there. You can listen to an album, any album on, on certain platforms. And it's a great tool for education. You mm. could learn, you know, and, and people now are fixing things themselves by going on YouTube and, you know, tutorial to fix uh, a leaky pipe. E- even, even that didn't help me. So, but we've got this device, which is magic. It essentially, is. but we don't use it properly. We use it generally. A lot of people use it to take selfies and to create these TikTok videos of themselves doing stupid pranks and jokes and, you know, just for the like culture. Yes. I'm going to post something just so I get a like, you know, and then that little hit of dopamine. Is, uh, oh, I can't, I can't remember the title of it, but it was a book. It came out last year. You can sort of Google and try and find out what it was. It was basically making that point mm. that... We're holding in our palms, and it's only from what ten years. It's only it's only up until that point we had. You know, I remember trying to download a trailer in two thousand and two. Yeah. It took sort of half a day. Well, I remember downloading the Phantom Menace trailer in nineteen ninety nine, which was about eight meg. Yeah, and it took about two hours. Yeah, you know, all, to, yeah, that's crazy. I still have my laptop from that point. Yeah. <laughs> it even made a modem sound. But then, what? Um, basically, in the space of the last fifteen years, we've been gifted this technology, which is. Star Trek stuff. Yeah. And it's not, it's just, it's appeared in our lives. This is game, there's more technology in, in the back, my back pocket currently than probably existed for, the, for the whole of human yeah. evolution up until 2007. And we, we've never really sat down to go, actually, what the hell is this doing to us? Because I don't think it's, it, it's the benefits. I don't think people see the benefits of having that technology or what that technology brings. I think it's just the attainment of it. Yes. And this is, hap- this is true with phones. I'm going to buy the brand new phone. That's coming out in a month. Right, I'm buying it. You don't want, you don't want this one, do you? I think it came out last year. Yeah. Last year? Last year. But this one's got three camera lenses on it. But why am I buying that? Because it does pretty much exactly what the phone I had before did. Yeah. Oh, no, there's Maybe always something. There's, there's yeah, always one new thing. features that you pay a premium for. Mm. But it's crazy because it, it's, it's more to not so much the technology, but having it, the attainment. Yeah. And it's like we're going back to on-demand culture. There's no kind of appreciation anymore. You know, like we talked about saving up money, going to buy something, waiting. Yes. And once you attain it, then it has much more power and uh, relevance to you than something you can instantly buy, which doesn't really exist. I suppose, yeah. In a, well, there was the, the wasn't there a case, I think it was Bruce Willis tried to uh, gift all his iTunes downloads to his daughter yeah. and then he got a note back saying you don't own these you can't no. gift these to anyone but that's, so, that's well, oh, I paid for these but that's always that's always been the case with music yeah you, nobody's ever owned that music apart from the the publishing companies and the songwriters and uh, the, you know the record companies but that wasn't anything that we knew until this happened because yeah. you would actually own a vinyl copy and you would that is yours but yeah you own the physical element but you don't own the content contained on the physical element too true but then this is what you see on the on the vhs's and dvds blu-rays you know piracy warnings and all that you know you're not allowed to show this outside Uh, on oil rigs on oil rigs (laughs) they always make the point why oil rigs i reckon at one point that it didn't have oil rigs on it oil rigs were just pirate video bonanza places it it didn't say or it doesn't say oil rigs right put oil rigs on. i know someone who was an oil rig he's very well paid and i'm wondering now whether that's because of his proceeds from pirating it can, that's, <laughs> that's the only answer. <laughs> Damn but, him. Uh, but, yeah, no, we've never owned that content. It's always been... We yeah. only own the physical kind of medium, but we've not owned the content within. That's, uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> well, well, basically, going, going back to the, the penny father, what we said about the iPhone uh, is, I think, just go, it exemplifies exactly what McGoon was talking about. Mm. We have this... Te- somebody invents some technology, 
we instantly take it on. We never process how it's going to affect us. We move into the next insanity. Yeah. Whereas he was, I think, very savvy. It was kind of, kind of thinking, this is back in the 60s. How, how would technology move forward to such a degree? We'd got colour TV all of a sudden. It's too much. <laughs> but nonetheless, he was absolutely right, I think. And I think that's one of the reasons why, in that respect, he's never been ambiguous about that. Mm. There's no, it's, uh, well, who was number one then? Well, it's for you to decide. It's a million <laughs> different answers. What about the penny farthing? It's this. Yeah, yeah. This is the point I was trying to make with that. I mean, you can say this about a lot of uh, the prison of production design, but for there would be, there's absolutely no reason for anyone to have a penny farthing in their room, particularly when the room is basically made up of sort of glass screens and mm. uh, this, this total... Uh, and just in terms of interior design, mm. uh, it makes no sense. But, of course, it, it makes perfect sense. There's the scene which is in the little, you know, the little water fountain feature yes. in Port Marion, the centre of Port Marion, mm. and you've got that little um, oh. balcony. There's a little continuity here. I don't know if you noticed this, but um, a small editing issue is that you see the extras start to move. Yes, and it's almost like it's a, uh, you know, action, and they start to move. But they're <laughs> oh, a little started bit filming too quickly. Get, yeah, damn it. the dialogue has started too quickly, and they're like, uh, if we if we cut this any later, it's just going to look off. And well, I think a lot of that was down to Guy Dolman not being there. I think did he get ill on the last day? I think they had to shoot a little bit around a, mm. uh, or it's, he, had, he had to go on to make. Um, to be fair, you don't funeral really need in Berlin. Yeah, you don't really need him though, do you? For that, for some of those shots, anyway. No, there, there, there's, a, there's a shot of him with a mic, with a megaphone in front of his face. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's not him. So now it's the first appearance of Rover. Indeed, um, with a cost cutting. Um, that's shot. Yes. Well, I mean, we, this is we've got to discuss him. I, I read an interview with McGowan. I think he was talking about it was Bernard Williams, hmm. the production manager. He's the one to uh, credit with Rover. I well, think it's de- debated a little bit. Bernard Williams, in, in one of the commentaries, is, is basically looking for any opportunity to reuse footage. Mm. And, th- and I think it's one of the reasons that Arrival was such a, an annoyance to him, because McGowan isn't wearing the classic prisoner blazer. He's wearing his, his civilian suit, his original suit. So, of course, a lot of that footage can't be inserted into other episodes because it would give it away. Yeah. <laughs> but any opportunity for him to use, you know, repeating footage, he does. And, of course, when that, that poor guy gets suffocated by Rover, it's clearly McGowan's face that you can see being suffocated, because it's the same shot that's reused, reused oh, again it's later in the, in the episode in the and in other episodes. Schizoid man that happens. Mm. Um, I'm, do you know what? I never thought that was McGowan. Yeah. It's, th- it's, it's a repeated shot. You can see it again. But it was, it's to do with budget. And oh, yeah, I knew. I, just, for, I always thought that it was the first guy, mm. the villager, who gets it. And then they kept using that shot. Because I remember thinking, there's uh, later in the episode when he gets number six. Yeah. And in the schizoid man, he said, well, this is, that's not Patrick McGowan. I'm only speculating. I'm not saying it is. I'm only speculating because to, it, for some reason I've always thought it was McGowan. But it might not be. So... Uh, there's only one way to sort this out. We're going to have mm. to fight. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to take my shirt Get off. Harry now. Hill in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, Rover, you know the story of, of Rover, don't you? Well, as I understand it, uh, they had designed, it was almost something with like caterpillar tracks and it was mm. like a, 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 a robot or something that was, and it just never worked. Uh, somebody was saying that on the cobbled streets, it just didn't even move. Mm. And then Bernard Williams and McGowan, they were, what's that up there? And it was a. An well, air there's, balloon. There's a, some pictures, uh, some sketches of of the original rover. Yeah, and it's kind of like um, like a pie. <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to explain. It's like, pie of death. Yeah, it's like a flying saucer with um, it's on tracks. Well, it's like a go kart chassis. It's like a go kart, a little bit like like the Dalek design, where you have a, an operator sat in a seat with yeah. a pedal and everything. And then a chassis built around it, and then the the thing built on top. And the pictures I've seen is it's kind of like some kind of fiberglass uh, surrounding, like a bowl, and then with an inverted bowl on the top with black and white kind of almost like the umbrella design. What was it supposed like to do to you when it got light. you? I don't know. Maybe an arm came out or something and <laughs> gave you a slap. I don't know. But stop that. But it, there's this story which seems to be quite apocryphal that it's they were rolled and it went onto the beach and it started to sink. <laughs> but but of course that's contradictory. Some people are saying yeah that actually happened. Some people say no that never happened. It was you know they kind of just went oh, yeah this is rubbish. Yeah. This isn't gonna you know 
How are we going to get it to? You know, how are we going to get it to float on water? How are we going to get it to do this? What were we thinking? Yeah, this is impractical. But it's um, if that is if that is the case, it's just so. What's that balloon? And then uh, and then McGuire was saying, and then the, for the next day, Bernard Williams said he had four of them. Right, pick one, and then. But it was one of these kind of things. It's, it's a bit like Dark Side of the Moon, when they. Uh, uh, Hypnosis and Storm Ferguson, yeah. whatever his name, uh, brought in all these album covers to, and they all four of them just went that one, yeah, and then walked and then left yeah. the room, yeah. and then so the, this, but what about all this work I've done? No, no, but what is this? <laughs> gonna, no, that, that one do, and within ten seconds they create they sort of uh, this utterly iconic yeah. uh, design was Sometimes unleashed on the world. Simplicity is the, is the is the best. And you think, well, actually, with the prisoner, what do most people associate with the prisoner? Yeah. So is that the one where he's getting chased by a big white ball? Yeah. It's, yeah, that's, yeah. it's it probably like the comic. most defining uh, visual aspect so, of the prisoner. So the story is they're talking, Bernard Williams and McGowan are talking yeah, mm, in Port right. Marion and despairing, what are we going to do? And they look up and they see a meteorological balloon in the sky and McGowan says, what's that? Apparently, I don't know how true the story is. Or, you know, but Bernard Williams seems to comment that this is exactly what happened. And then McGowan basically sent him out or one of his assistants out to go and get as many as possible. Mm. So he went up to the meteorological station nearby Penryn Daedrith in a, in a Land Rover. <laughs> he got as many as he could, inflated them. and But, of course, you can see there's a lot of problems with that balloon in that it has to be guided. Yes. It's, you know, the fishing wire to the back of... I mean, there's one scene where McGowan has a, a, a rover attached to his jacket yeah. So as he's walking forward, it's pulling. That's the final shot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's pulling the rover. There's a shot where it kind of seems, when everyone's still, when it seems to bounce and exactly, it sort of seems to kind of float straight through the village. Is that, is that because it's on a wire? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, there's, there's one, it's just a particular, you can see it, tell how tough the director was because he yeah. just holds it. It's like, I've got a beauty here. Yeah. Because the rest of it, you can see them sort of filming around it and trying to just <laughs> trying to no, contain its erratic. You can see, you can see obviously when it's windy because <laughs> it, it, it alters shape, doesn't it? But yeah, that must have been it. Must have created its own set of challenges. Oh yeah, and burst so many of them bursting as well because they're not entirely they're very light, aren't they? Very thin meteorologically. Yeah, balloons. yeah. So any kind of bounce on a sharp object pop. Kind of thing of deflate. So no wonder he had to go and get hundreds oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to actually do this. But he's, um, when it appears in this episode, it's, it's the first time you saw it. It's, it's at the top of a fountain. Yes. And like then suddenly, pong, isn't it? Yeah. And then, so, but it's the do only you know time. How they, they did that. Do you know why? Or how? No, how they did that. No. Because it's, a it's an actual practical effect. So they had the ball on the fountain, yeah. which is then shot by an air rifle. And then at that moment of it being shot, the camera then zooms into the... And he appears at the top. ...rover. Imagine how long that took to get right. Oh, my God. But it's brilliant. <laughs> it's a brilliant shot. It is. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a proper for the audience. What the hell's going on? Yeah. Because they wouldn't... This, this is the first time anyone's <coughs> seen it as well. It's like, what the hell is this? But you get that sense of scale as, as rover is birthed or pops from the ocean, mm. kind of grows in size and then, you know, is on the... It, it gives this kind of otherworldly element to it. Yeah. But if you have you seen the the original take of Arrival, the original edit? No. It sounds a little bit like Darth Vader rover. There's it's somebody with a, an aqualung. It's the effect. Yeah, yeah. But also with a heartbeat as well. This boom, 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 boom. Oh, that would have been quite impressive. It's quite weird. Yeah. But of course, then replaced in the final edit by this screech scream. I like uh, the 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 roar. I think is really it's genuinely quite terrifying yeah. because it's a it's a, it's a really strange primal noise. Yeah. And orally, all you've heard for the entire episode is just tweeness yeah. and delightfulness and it's, this kind of it's a huge kind of jarring. Was it was that a, was that a sort of uh, BBC sound effect type thing? Do you remember those albums, the horror, yes. death and horror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of I can imagine it's kind I of like the gorilla one. McGowan probably watching that and thinking, yeah, this. Something's not. This, this needs to working. be terrifying. Yeah, I'm not that scared by this. I need more. If you look at Tie Fighters and Chewbacca and you know, mm. it's you know, walrus sounds and bear sounds and you know, all these things coming together and mixed together to create like Ben Burt. Yes, yes. His fantastic audio work to create these these audio worlds and I think at the time they wanted something like I say, like a lion or some kind of animal noises, which were treated. You know, with the reverb slowed down and maybe and the, put and in human voices in there as well. And then that sort of whistling. 
Well, there's also almost like a Gregorian chant in there in some elements as well. It's almost like monks chanting. Yeah. As you, as Rover kind of goes past, it's like... <laughs> so this, it's like the pan book of horror, isn't it? It's like one of those covers. Yeah. You've got a lion and you've got a hooded monk and you've got a, and, somebody with a breathing apparatus. And, and <clears> also, you've got your first death, the villager. You know, he's actually, I'm assuming he's killed. Or is he just subdued? Yeah. Uh, and also, you've got the first bit of... Rebellion, mm-hmm. which kind of sets up, you know... St- or was it staged? Was well, it staged I, yes. As a, as a show of power? Yeah. Is he conditioned to do that? To... Well, it's interesting, because he says, stop, stop, but for what reason? Yeah. The guy hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah. I, I personally think it's a show of power. Yeah. On number two, so, you know, this is what the village can do, and, you know, what was that? That would yeah. be telling. That would be telling. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Labour Exchange. Yes, and so what's the actor's name? Christopher Benjamin. Christopher Benjamin. Uh, and this is a, this would have been a bit of a thing for Danger Man Danger fans. Man fans yeah. Because he was Potter. Potter. Uh, and will be again later in the uh, series. Yes. Uh, but that would have been a sort of... But obviously he's... Is Playing he named? No, he's, he's just numbered. Yeah, he's numbered, but uh, he hasn't got a name. But he shows up again in Times of Big Ben, doesn't he? At the beginning. He's, he's like the aide to number two. Ah, no, I missed that. What a fool. But what I quite like about that is it's got the, those people queuing for no reason. Mm. Yes. <laughs> it's a very British thing, isn't it? We love a good queue. So what I quite like about this is when um, Christopher Benjamin's character is talking to him and he's saying about any politics. Any yeah, any politics. Stuff, and he puts the, he has the, the round peg. Yes, into the square into, hole. Into or, the square hole. Which is a, it's a saying, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. Hole. But then... There's something about the way that he sort of puts the round peg into the square hole and then the, the square hole turns into a round hole. It adapts. Uh, which is a sort of... It's a sort of a... There's no way out of this. No. You uh, will conform. Yeah, exactly. Even if you try not... If you try to rebel, we will still yeah. make you conform. This is this is all this this means. And then the square and the, the circle, they turn up again in various... Usually in, with, when he's under some sort of treatment. Mm. Uh, the, square, the square peg round hole thing is quite... Uh, quite a, a popular visual motif going yeah. through the series. And then uh, we see number six arrive back in his apartment and it's it's almost like everything's been set up for him. He gets the, the journal mm. has been filled in for him. Yes. Which is very <laughs> creepy, isn't it? Arrived today, made very well. Yeah, that was quite shiver-inducing. And then they're going around. I love the, the strange thing, we, he, he listens to the beans he sort of takes the cans of things and gives them a quick listen. <laughs> it's <just> an unusual <laughs> thing. I, th- I just take that as, as whether they're real, whether there is actually something within. Yes. Or whether it's, it's a facade. A bit like the, the radio is, how can this be real? Mm. There's no chords. Yes. It's essentially a Bluetooth speaker, isn't it, by today's standards? Well, yes. So I'll smash it up. They should really get some kind of royalties from there. <laughs> yeah. From Bose. I think they've missed a trick, yeah. The Bose should do a prisoner... Um, there's, there are so so many prisoner tie-ins that need to be made. Yes. So if, you, if you're listening, get on it. Yeah. Um, probably a very niche market, though, I would think. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but what's interesting is the set dressing as well of Number Six's apartment. It's all the military yes. uh, kind of uh, decoration, isn't there? The, the tiger skin rug is always a, a feature as well. Yeah. I mean, would that be something he would have shot, do you think? Or how popular well, we were Well, we know he's well-travelled. I mean, the, the, there are, there's a lot of globe iconography mm. in, in the apartment. You've got the globe on the wall, the map of the world. You know, um, the, the globe generally throughout the prisoner is, is a huge kind of um, yeah. icon, isn't it? The str- rover. And- yeah, it's kind of strange to actually have a map of the world, though, when, it, when it's actually in their idea of a map is just things saying mountains, mountains, yeah, sea. Yeah, a bit of a contradiction. It's, it's almost like there's no there's no world anymore. This is your world. Yeah. So actually, actually have a map. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's... Um, but again... they want to make it feel home from home, don't they? Mm. So the dressing has to be the same. Yes. But it's interesting, when you get to Chimes of Big Ben, you see Nadia's house has that rustic yes. feel to it, yes. isn't it? Estonian. So, Estonian, yeah. Yeah, so the, the twins. Yes. Are, or are they twins? Are they twins? Or is it just kind of... what? Another way of suggesting this place makes no sense. Yeah, it, I think it's there just for the shock, mm. isn't it? Just for, to kind of... Every, nothing about this place is what you think. We're going to throw all these curveballs. But we know the village can produce 
uh, replicas or economy versions, I think, as number six says. Mm. So maybe it was, you know, there's, there's so many ways to read that, that they're twins, that they're clones, that they're part of some failed mission where you had to have duplication of a, of a character or something like that. And then, and then, of course, he makes his first bid for freedom. And mm. uh, it's the first time you see the statues, Yes, which is quite a, an eerie thing. The sort of lights flashing. Yeah. yeah, rotating busts, aren't they? And this is, I guess, the first time you see Mr Swanwick. Yes. Because it's the first time you see that fantastic bit of production design with the camera on the lever mm-hmm. just turning around all the time. Which is the same set as the as number two's office, we call it. Oh, is it? Was it yeah. just simply the same set? Same set. And also um, the, the art gallery, the art show, yeah. is also yeah. the same set, that domed room. So do you reckon all those shots, I'm assuming it would have been an absolute nightmare to sort of keep stripping down that set and putting it back mm-hmm. up again. Were most of those shots pretty much uh, reused? Every time he says orange alert, it's yeah. the same shot of him for the so. whole series. You, you know, with the the, the uh, operators on the the seesaw. Yes. Uh, the camera kind of, and he pulls like the handbrake. Doesn't yes. He? That's the same shot. You can see that. There's an economy there of of, of edits. You can well, yeah, clearly see they've just right. reused it. Just film lots. And, yeah. And then <laughs> and we're going to strike the set. Yeah. That's it. Uh, but that's that's standard. That's still standard practice. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you would you create these these kind of things to kind of fill in the gaps and certain B roll, um, you know, that you would insert in to kind of make the scene long or give it a bit more context. But that, yeah, there's no reason why you'd want to shoot that two, three, four times anyway. You just use the same footage. But yeah, you know? but it's um, he, he's an important character. He's he's a, certainly an iconic character. Mm. Perhaps simply because of the fact that almost every episode you're waiting for the shot of him saying orange alert. But he's he's called the supervisor, but he's not addressed as the supervisor. He's he's and he's number twenty eight. Number twenty eight, yeah. Mm. But he's one of those characters that we refer to as the supervisor rather than number twenty eight. Yes, yes, he's credited, isn't he? Yeah. I would I would say looking at some of his his credit. I mean, he, he was in the Avengers, Danger Man. He was in one episode as a character just called Joe. Ah, Joe. Joe. Going back to the uh, well, going back to the scene. This is actually the first time you actually get to see the the mechanism of the surveillance going on mm. in the in the prison. And, and you're only about twenty five years odd from um, from actual proper prisoner camps, yeah. which would have just had gunmen and sentries on towers yeah, proper. Yeah. And so this Such is a totally lights. different futuristic yeah. uh, way of securing the perimeter. Yeah. And making sure you couldn't escape sort of cameras and statues and malevolent uh, balls. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, again, you kind of think, well, in this episode, you've got to set up everything, mm. and this is the scene where you set up the fact that there is literally no way out of here. Yeah, even if you're going to make such a botched attempt to sort of drive on. But there's a lot. I mean, they, they, the thing is, because it's an hour long, and they've they've got to establish the rules of the world and the rules of the village. Yeah. And you want to see your protagonist challenge those rules or push against them, mm. almost like a child in a in a classroom. Yeah, you know, there's pushing those boundaries, and the teacher's pushing back and saying these are the boundaries that are set. Yeah, you know, and it's like a societal thing as well. You're born into this world, and you're hit by rules from your parents, from your teachers, from your employers, from the government. You're given these set boundaries that you have to follow. Yeah, and we're kind of doing that in this first episode. It's almost like his character is being born into this world. Yeah. You know, he's emerging into and learning the rules like a like a child almost. But his 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 role within this world is to escape. Mm. Um and you see it in the first certainly in the first six or seven episodes. That's all he does in every episode. Mm-hmm. He's it's all about how the hell do I get out of here? Mm-hmm. Uh it's only sort of in the later ones. It's almost not so much a resignation. But it's not the primary thing. But is it? I mean, there's another way to look at it. I mean, it's not just about escape, but it's also about the ability to rebel mm. or to not to conform. Yes. Against, you know, we have all these rules and laws in society and young people will challenge them. I know he's not youth with it and he's, you know, he's more of an everyman. But some points in our lives, we do challenge these boundaries. Yes. And say, well, why? This is basically an opportunity to get him attacked by Rover and get him into the hospital. Indeed, yeah. So we can burn his, get his new suit, get his badge, uh, and we can meet Cobb as yes. well. Yes, great but, Paul Eddington. Paul Eddington. But just before we get to Cobb, I just wanted to talk what I quite like about the, the doctor who attends to him. Yes. Do you notice that when the doctor's talking to him and going through his checkup, he then goes to a computer? 
Yeah, a, a classical 60s computer with massive reel tapes yeah. spinning around pointlessly. Look, if you, last time you went to a doctor's surgery, yeah. they're talking to you, they get the stethoscope, and then they go onto a computer and they get the database up. And this, wasn't, so this wasn't common in, in British, or I'm guessing in American as well, no. international doctor's surgeries, is that computers were being used. But there's, there's, Magoon has the prescience here to say, well, this is what's going to happen. They are going to be using computers. You know, they are going to be using this for a database. And he goes and he punches, you know, in the, at the time, you can, you're only limited by the technology that's around you. And these were the kind of the reel-to-reel computers yeah. with the ticker tapes, aren't they, and the punch cards. I was, I was going to say, this, I can't remember, generally, did they, did they put some rectangular piece of card with yeah. holes in it into a, into a slip, and that tells you everything, yeah. yeah. But that's like the binary system, isn't it? What zeros and ones, the punch holes and, and things like that. But, yeah, he's inputting information or taking information from the computer, which is what we do now. Mm. And we have been doing since, well, certainly the late 80s. Computers started to appear in the workplace for databases and, you know, and especially with the Internet in the 90s, people, you know, accessing records, intranet information for patients. Yes. Secure information and having that on hand where anywhere in the world kind of thing. So it's, it's very prescient, I think. Oh, yeah. Again? Again. Again, again. And then, of course, slightly more kind of up-to-date or sort of uh, contemporary at the time was this, the, the, the drug-induced weirdness mm. in, the, in, in the, some of the other patients when he's looking through it's, the doors. It's the guy... like a Reeves and Mortimer. <laughs> yeah, <isn't> it? <laughs> it, does, it does go very odd for about yeah. three minutes, doesn't it? It's a few minutes of, like, surrealism, a bit of Dada-ism in there. The guy looking at the ball. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a Vic Reeves sketch, isn't it? It's like something from Reeves and Mortimer. Of course, then you've got that underlying child melody. Yes. Boys and girls come out to play. And pop goes the weasel and all these kind of nursery rhyme yeah. tunes, which, of course, are going to be copyright free. Which, but uh, will also be... It's like, it's like clowns. Like mm. you put any kind of child's iconography into an adult setting it immediately becomes quite sinister because mm-hmm. he's treating adults like children mm-hmm. and that weird thing where they're all sat and lined up yes. and sat yes. on the floor and stuff wearing like almost like like walkman headphones yes but maybe maybe that's just like an ambient corridor or something yeah, yeah. They're, they're all listening to Ministry orbital sound. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's almost like aversion therapy and it's, it's similar to the ludovico technique isn't it that we see in kubrick's Clockwork Orange. Yes. Alex has to endure the the images of violence with the music of Beethoven to get that aversion to it. To am I oh, am I thinking of a different episode when he's sat, he's sat, he's been forced to watch Rover come towards him again and again and again? Yeah, isn't that? Um, I think that's a change of change mind. Of mind. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul Eddington. Hmm. Carp. Paul Eddington, of course, probably most famous to UK viewers as Jim Hacker in. Yes, Minister, and yes, Prime Minister. Yes. Because well, sitcom. That would be. And, and of course, also, as the, um, the neighbour in uh, A Good Life. So he was yeah. Mr. 1970s, 80s. He yeah. became a huge star. Yeah. Quite a few people in the prison became huge stars. In the you, 70s? Yeah, yeah. You start to see them in the prisoner as, as their little guest spots. Mm-hmm. George ba- who was George Baker? Wexford. He Inspector was Wexford, we- yes. Inspector Wexford. I mean, he became a, a big name. Yeah. Uh, but Paul Eddington was was in pretty much every. If you look at his IMDb, yeah, he was in practically everything, and he's he's only in this for a little bit. But there's there's that wonderful. I suppose because he was in Secret Agent as well. Mm. Like a lot of these things, they, I think they used that to to shortcut a, a rapport with mm. McGowan. When you see them together, you can tell that they've they've, they've, they've got, got some shared they've, history. They've, yeah, and they they've, they've they've only got thirty seconds really to yeah. sort of set this up. One thing I notice is the, the taxi driver. Now, number six gets into a, uh, a into a mini moak taxi. Yes. And the taxi driver's badge is number sixty six. Ah. So, so clearly, this number sixty six badge is doing the rounds in this episode a little bit. And it's also worn by the chess playing admiral. He's also number sixty six. So I think that's just more of a props. I suspect. Thing. I think at this point you can just discount the whole. Yeah. What we need no, to do here is there's no. You can, there's nothing to read into that. I think. And of course, at the time. You're not really going to be scrutinising on a little television. Um, was there even uh, a sense back then that these would be kept forever? You were still deleting. Well, they were shot on film. They weren't shot on videotape. The, the, I suppose because they were shot on film, they, these would have been kept. They would have sort of known that. But the, would they even dreamt 
that people would still be watching this in 10 years, 20 years, 30 I years, 40 years? Possibly Lou, Lou Grade had quite a good vision for, for that legacy of that content, didn't he? For all those shows, The Champions and um, Randall and Hopkirk. And they came out Department quite S. early on, on video. Yeah. Once video buy, buying video, at but home. they were. So, but don't forget, I mean, things like Man in a Suitcase, The Baron, um, The Champions, The uh, Department S, mm. all had American characters. Yes. So they could sell it. I mean, the persuad the persuaders as well. Tony Curtis, big name. That was the, the persuaders was sort of like a, a, a development deal. Yeah. Before the, any but you, <laughs> masquerading as a series. But the Avengers also had that American money thrown in when they made the color episodes. You, they could be. You know, sold overseas and sold to the American markets on the the syndicated networks. Make enough of them, you can syndicate them to you know any network you like in the in the United States. Yeah, in and living color and syndic yes, in color. So I think Lou Grade's plan. I think he already had a plan for this world. Yeah, and detective thrillers. It's just in a sort of case of trying trying to work out exactly how much of this stuff was deliberately sort of allegorical, or was it literally? We've only got five badges. You're going to yeah. have to wear this one. We used it last week, but don't tell yeah. anyone. <laughs> I think I think don't forget people are watching this in black and white, and they're watching it on a small screen. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to notice. I mean, we're watching high definition on 50 inch TVs now, and we can pick up on these details which you wouldn't have done then. And I think it was just basically we need a badge. They can wear that badge. No one's going to notice. They're not going to be looking at badges. They're going to be looking at that person's face as they're talking. Don't worry. No one will be talking about this in yeah. 55 years. Yes. Yeah. Trust me. Who's the two? Let's go into number twos. Mm. There are two in yeah. this one. Two, uh, two marvellous actors. Uh, Guy Dolman, mm. who I think is a superb choice for the first yeah, did you know he's from New Zealand? Yes, I did. He's I, a Kiwi. I, he is. He's um, because I absolutely adore him. Mainly because he uh, plays Colonel Ross. Yes, in the Ipcrest file, yeah. which he'd already done by this point. So I think in audiences' minds, when they saw this guy as the as the authority figure, he already had that authority. Hmm. He, he had a natural sort of headmasterly kind of I'm in charge. I'm in charge. He had, <laughs> uh, he, and he had that sort of laconic, dry sort of establishment air about him, uh, Guy Dorman. But also famous, he's a Bond actor, like George Baker. Uh, Colonel Lippy. In uh, Thunderball. Yes. Yes. Um, he didn't get to do much in that, did he? No, he's only in the kind of health spa scenes. He's the one who turns into that, that ridiculous back-stretching machine. Yes. And then <laughs> yeah. doesn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. And then gets... Stuck in the steamer. But I think I think possibly that casting's intentional because he's a an actor known for playing a Bond bad guy. Yes. So you so kind of like on an audience level, you know, if you've got him playing these authority types and you've seen him in Thunderball, which wasn't that long before, was it Thunderball? Thunderball sixty five. Sixty five. So it's only you know it's only a year. Yeah. Before. Yeah. He, he he's kind of like that perfect blend of authority. A little bit of creepiness. Well, to it's him it's as well. he's he has a sort of avuncular. Air. He looks, mm. he has that sort of charming, don't worry, I'll sort that out for you, dear. You'll be the death that. of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're gonna, I have a frosty uh, front, but uh, there's a softness inside and eventually we'll bond. I see that line as well. There's a little bit of foreshadowing there, isn't there, with that line? Where he goes, you'll be the death of me. <laughs> yeah. it, it's like, do the R number twos, you know, disposed of or are they... Um, Replaced, or do they go off back to their normal lives and do their, you know, work in the House of Lords or whatever they do? Because Colin Gordon's number two, yes, from ABC. He's really worried, isn't he, that if he doesn't succeed, he's going to get the yes. Job. But he comes uh, back, doesn't he? In uh, oh, the general, the general, yeah, yes. And also, I mean, the one of my favourites again. We'll get to that later. Uh, Patrick Cargill, who is yes. absolutely terror is his yeah. his terror of be, of failing. But I suppose it's what what the number two represents is the different levels and types of mindless bureaucracy. Yeah, um, almost like a prime minister. Yes. Or or, or president or yeah, prime minister. I think is probably the best kind of uh, kind of comparison. Yeah. To but you've still got a king behind it. Yeah. We've still got somebody controlling or, or some kind of higher level. And a little bit of uh, extra Ipcrest file trivia uh, based on Guy Dolman that he's not the only Ipcrest file alumni in there. Um, the chap who comes to fix the broken uh, radio and then reappears discombobulatingly yeah. as the gardener. Careful, sir, these are new plants. <laughs> yeah. uh, was uh, Oliver McGreevy, who mm. was the, the uh, one of the villains in the, 
has a scrap with Harry Palmer has a scrap with outside the Albert Hall, uh, but he's a he's a he's a he's a baddie. And that's right, he gets killed. He, he gets poisoned uh, in the in the but jail again, cell. It's, it's another spy film casting. Yes. And George Baker hadn't actually been in on Her Majesty's Secret Service at this point because that was 1969. Yeah. Isn't it? The yeah, wonderful right. Mark Gattis, uh, Matthew Sweet programme mm. just uh, talks exactly about how specifically 1969 mm. on Her Majesty's Secret Service, if it had been made in 70, yeah. it would look totally different. And then how, the next one, Diamonds of Forever, is the most 1971 thing yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a story about Diamonds of Forever, actually. I met uh, Margaret Lacey. She came to, to my school oh, when, wow. I, when I was uh, about five years old. And of course, I knew who James Bond was. And she's, the, she's Mrs. Whistler in Diamonds of Forever. You know, the, the, it's like the, the drug mule that yeah, yeah. find her body. And she told us this story about, um, obviously, they'd have a stand-in for when they pull the body out of the, of, the, of the canal. And then they would, like, put her body on the floor. And, of course, she'd be dead and, covered, and, and drenched. And she uh, she said, uh, it will be warm water, won't it? And the director's like, yes, yes, Margaret, don't worry. And then she said, and it wasn't. It was cold. <laughs> so she was like, and I still remember this. I remember the disappointment in her face. And she said she, she had to act dead. And, free, and she was freezing her proverbials off. Which I thought was a lovely song, and I've never forgotten that. And every time I watch Diamonds of Forever, I always have a little chuckle. That's because I know she was freezing. I'm taken out of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and then we come to Cobb's funeral. Mm. Where you have the, the it's like almost like a show funeral, a little bit. Being buried on the beach mm. as well. And the introduction of Virginia Maskell's character. Yes. Interestingly, number nine. Mm. Almost like a yin yang thing going on, the six and the nine. And um, Virginia Maskell, who is the only uh, genuine ally. Yes. They had. I mean, it's. Strange, she's not in. Well, there's a reason why she's not in any of the others, which is a bit tragic. But yeah. uh, she she could have basically been an ally all the way through it. Perhaps yeah. she was taken away at the end of it because the way I read it is that she does want to help number six. Yes, yeah. I think I think that uh, number two knows that she wants to help six, but she yeah. he uses that against him and her. She doomed though, isn't she? Because he says uh, we'll take good care of him because that's what I was afraid of. Mm. So it suggests she comes to some kind of sticky end. Yes, suggesting she is actually an ally. Yeah, it's. Um, you could read it as a show of power as well. You know, this kind of deflation of his of his um, morale that he gets into the helicopter, he flies away, and then he's brought back. You know, just at the moment where he feels he's free, pull you back. Yes. You know, and, and Baker has that little smile, doesn't he? Well, he he has the smile as he's taking off, which mm. uh, for the for the audience we go ah. Oh. I mean, in fairness, it is episode one. I, mm. I was yeah, pretty, you know, he's not pretty sure he wasn't going to go away this early. I'm pretty sure. If we studied the footage uh, carefully, we'd find that uh, he wasn't in the... Well, you can see, can't you, when, when the, the standard is in the, in the helicopter, you can see the through the window, there's a field with a fence. Yeah. You know, it's clearly not the lawn at Port Merrin. But you're not really... I, it, I never really noticed that before, to be honest. I think that's... Well, we are looking at it with a slightly more sort of analytical eye. The first chess match yeah. of the series... Which I guess is a, it's a little bit obvious, but it is at the same time kind pretty uh, pretty iconic. But yes, I mean chess is a is a theme throughout the whole. But certainly, it kind of disappears a little bit. But certainly for the first five six episodes, it's it's there, ever present. But I think, and and you get to that episode when you get to checkmate, you realise that yeah, it's not just about being pawns or black and white. You know who is the keepers, who are the uh, are the prisoners. It's also about thinking. One step ahead, two steps ahead, and, and kind of meeting your or thinking about what your opponent is doing mm. when you play chess. If I move my rook, how are they going to respond? And it's it's kind of alluding to chess as well. You know, in terms of the, in order to defeat the village, the prisoner has to think about all possible outcomes of, of his actions. Yes, yeah, has to preempt what they're thinking. Yeah. So marks out of six for the for arrival. Ooh, definitely five for me. Yeah? Yeah, it's quite a high one. I don't think I could give it a six out of six. There are issues. There are certain issues on the technical technical levels, continuity levels. But that's just me being picky. In that case, yes. I think I'll think I'll 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 join you. I was gonna uh, I wasn't sure how severe we were gonna be with this, but I, th I think there's 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 one six episode. Yeah. 
um, but it's not quite this. But I think five five will do it nicely. So. Uh, um, a 10 out of 12. A, 10 out a of 10. solid 10 out of 12. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us by searching for podcast free for all, one word. And if you want to look for us on Twitter, we are free for all pod, or one word. And feel free if you want to comment, join the group, send messages, all that stuff. Free for all podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton. And special thanks to Jemima Duncar for the artwork. Please see you. you.